Live from the NixCast Phanthropological Institute, today we'll be talking about Trekkies. Everybody and welcome to episode one of Phanthropological. I'm Nick G. Joining me as always are my two best friends and co-hosts, Nick T. Hello, everyone. And Nick Z. Hello. And today we're talking about Trekkies. Yeah, and why is that? Well, I mean, Star Trek is, is a pretty important series. Uh, it's a progressive science fiction series. Well, the original series ran from 1966 to 1969. It's produced by Gene Roddenberry, who's gone on to produce lots of other things aside from Star Trek, although the only thing I can think of right now is, um, what was that show with, with Kevin Sorbo? Uh, Hercules? <laughs> the other one was Hercules? <laughs> the space, Andromeda. That's it. Andromeda. Hercules in space. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it, But in any case, in the words of the original series, Opening, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. This is the kickoff of a fandom. That's what we have, ladies and gentlemen. Not just the kickoff of a fandom. I would say the kickoff of the fandom or of just fandom, period. I think that's that's pretty fair to say, considering um, I'm I'm trying really hard to not to look at this at, uh, through the eyes of like a white geek, but like it definitely kicked off a number of different you know terminology and and whole concepts that, as far as I understand, previously didn't exist at all. Like maybe with um, I could be mistaken, but wasn't uh, Frankenstein was kind of like the first fanfic? Am I getting my uh, my history mixed up? My fan history mixed up? Possibly. I mean, the big story behind Frankenstein that I'm aware of is that Mary Shelley couldn't come up with a ghost story, and everybody else uh, who was with her on the continent partying it up were, were razzing her for it. So she took a bunch of events that were happening at the time, and the fact that they were supposedly staying in like a, a haunted villa and uh, turned it into Frankenstein. Hmm. Okay, well, I mean, I guess for now, we'll set that aside. We'll call that a citation needed. I call it, it uh, uh, maybe maybe kick off a modern fandom, fandom as we know it today. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, but I mean, all of this sounds very trivial. So much so, in fact. It puts me in the mood. You better edit some... that out. <laughs> Star Trek trivia. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Well, you're, since you're starting us off, Z, what do we have? What do you? What uh? What interesting tidbit of Star Trek trivia have you got for us? Well, I've I've found uh, through my researching a connection between Star Trek and baseball. Oh. Oh. Yes. Oh, wait a second. Okay. I think I know where this is going, mm -hmm. but I want to see where this is going. I I don't, and I'm really excited. All right. Okay. 
Well, back in 2009, a uh, pitcher by the name of Joe Nelson was uh, kind of causing a buzz because he had this special pitch, and he named it after a race in Star Trek. Can either of you name the race? Okay, it's baseball. Let's see here. I'm going to guess the Klingon. Okay, we've got the Klingon and G. All right. Um, got to show my stripes a little bit here. I don't even think this is necessarily it, but the the Cardassian. <laughs> boy, oh boy. That's, uh, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> not not a stretch. I'd say a little bit uh, a little bit too deep for this Joe Nelson who at the time was just becoming a fan thanks to reruns. I don't I don't know how much of a fan this guy is. Oh, well, I, I don't know either. He could be he could be all the way in there. He he could be. He could be. Back in 2009, he said that uh, he didn't consider himself a Trekkie, but he was getting more into it thanks to reruns. But he called this pitch the Vulcan changeup. Ooh. Oh. Because he threw the ball while holding it between his ring and middle fingers. Oh. So like the Vulcan salute with the, exactly. the long impressor. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought it might. I thought it was going to have something to do with like the nerve pinch. No. Like he no, was holding but, it like the pinch yeah. or something like that. <laughs> that would make a man. That would make a good a good hold for like a sleeper pitch or something. <laughs> okay, I thought I thought you were going to tie it back to. Um, apparently, fans of Deep Space Nine in particular are called the Niners, and not because of the obvious, you know, Deep Space Nine Niners and being really lazy. No, apparently. <laughs> In the Deep Space Nine, which is one of the Star Trek series that I've not seen, apparently in that series, on the holodeck, they they make a baseball team for the space station called the Niners. Amazing. Cool. I, th I thought that's where that was going for sure. I would love to have a list of just those episodes. <laughs> oh, where they were playing baseball? Yeah, like the Picard um, episodes. Where like a, when he's, well, Picard did one where he was like in the 30s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. He was like a gangster, and Data did like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes ones. Those were good. Do they have a holodeck collect? They must have a holodeck collection got on to. DVD. <laughs> the best ones. <laughs> All right, guys. Quiz time. Okay. So All soon right. after Z's <laughs> quiz time. What is the difference between a Trekkie and a Trekker? See, I was actually going to get to this, so I'm, oh, I'm uh, so I'm, sorry. I'm glad you brought it up. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, so I didn't actually know there was a distinction either. I'd heard both of them being used, and I just assumed they were, you know, linguistic preferences. But from what I, from the research that I did, I found that a trekker is the preferred term. Uh, they're supposed to be the quote rational fans who, you know, just happen to enjoy the show and aren't like crazy into it. And trekkies are supposed to be the fans that you know think that the show is real life or think are really into the show and just know way too much detail about it sounds that is like, what i think sounds like the information that you had a little trucker <laughs> bias in it Ooh. uh z would you care to guess sure um a trekker is somebody who walks a lot and the trekkie is somebody who watches star trek <laughs> okay that's enough um <laughs> Thank you, Caller Z, on to our next call. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the answer is nothing. 
Okay. Personal preference. Oh, okay. See, I. Oh, go ahead. Like it's it, all it is 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 Trekkers think Trekkie is a diminutive term. They're like, oh, it's too cutesy. <laughs> you know, people, as you said, people they can't distinguish Star Trek from reality, and they just watch it all the time, and they they think it's real, and they think they're they're going onto the Enterprise and all this. Whereas Trekkies are like Trekkers take it way too seriously, and they're like, well, are they too good to be called Trekkies? For what it's worth, Gene Roddenberry said that it was Trekkie. Hmm. Following that up with, I should know I invented them. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just hard to argue with. Into that, and it was just like, I was like, I thought it was uh, a sealed deal, because apparently uh, Leonard Nimoy, you know, Mr. Star Trek, uh, in 1991 said the Trekker was the preferred term. And then later on, mm-hmm. like, uh, it was Larry King or some late night show. Not sure if it was deliberate or not, said Trekkie, and he's like, oh, no, wait, Trekker, just to, like, muddy the grounds. Glad we got Larry King's uh, <laughs> opinion. No, no, like, when yeah, Leonard yeah. Nimoy was on the show, like, okay. just made it made it less clear. Interesting. Uh, and Kate Mulgrew was, like, uh, also known as uh, Captain Janeway in Voyager, was saying that Trekkers are the ones walking with us, while the Trekkies are the ones content to simply sit and watch Star Trek. So Z was right. Yeah. Oh boy. Cool. <laughs> Magnanimous and victory. You can't argue with the ship's captain. I mean, come on. That's true. He's, he's right, you know. They'll basically <laughs> just say noted and then dismiss you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, apparently, that distinction has existed since like the 1970s. Wow. Yeah, it was early. Like, that is crazy early. Okay. Having done a little research for this episode, I believe we're all familiar with Memory Alpha now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Basically, the, I would say, official or more, most comprehensive Star Trek wiki, who Simon Pegg consulted when he was writing <laughs> for Star Trek Beyond. Hmm. Brilliant. Cool. He would, like, run things by them and ask them to come up with a name for a Vulcan mineral. <laughs> Ooh. Vulcanite. Yeah. It was not that. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if vulcanite is actually the name of a real mineral having nothing to do with no yeah. wait, vul- vulcanized rubber. Yeah, well, based on, like, you know, the Roman god Vulcan. Oh, yeah, yeah that's her. Yeah, so that's, you know, example of direct fan contribution. Okay. Prior to, like, the year 2000 when the millennium was approaching, uh, Scotland Yard, we're all familiar with Scotland Yard. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. Police it's division. a yard in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the sure. police yeah, division yeah, yeah. in the UK. <laughs> Kept a file on Trekkies and other sci-fi fans in the UK for fear that they would go mad and kill themselves, turn against society, or start a weird cult. Whoa. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's like, um, what wow. is it? Oh, no. You know what? I had a, I know what I wanted to say, and I'm not going to bring it up because I like not being investigated by uh, certain religious organizations. Good <laughs> idea. Good idea. Yep. That's... <laughs> That's actually kind of interesting because in a 1968 article, fanzines for Star Trek were actually referred to as cultist publications. <laughs> what? Yeah. We were really quick to give the old side eye at these people. Oh, yeah. Strange group with bizarre customs. That's really interesting because now... So so one of the things I discovered when doing my research is that, you know, the f- first fanzine came up in like 1967 was like less than a year after the first episode and the first convention took like a little under three years 
Can you imagine how fandoms would work today if it took three years before there was enough interest for something to happen? Man. Like, they're fans of things before they even exist. <laughs> I knew of Mumford & Sons cover bands before they even had a second album. <laughs> wow. Wow. For example. Um, I know that when they announce, when they reveal the costume of the new Doctor, before there's even an episode, people are already trying to get it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised that so much of the fandom took off, like, after the f- original show was over. Yeah, apparently it didn't catch on until after it had hit reruns and syndication. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll, yeah, let's come back to that. Okay, mm-hmm. I've got an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting because I'm a software developer. Mm-hmm. All right. So, if you were to guess whether software developers prefer... Star Wars to Star Trek, what would you think the answer would be? I would guess Star Trek. You would guess Star Trek, okay. How about you, Z? Which do you think? I would... Are you with or against G? Yeah. You know what? I'd also have to guess Star Trek. Okay. This is what I found interesting. So, according to a survey run by stackoverflow.com, they do an annual developer survey, Mm -hmm. and they ask some interesting questions like, you know, which science fiction show would you prefer? And, you know, there was Firefly and Doctor Who in the running. But, by and large, most of the people picked Star Trek or Star Wars. What was particularly interesting, to me, was that the majority of software developers under the age of 50 prefer Star Wars to Star Trek. Hmm. Like, it's basically 50% Star Wars, 30% Star Trek. If you're talking about people under the age of 30, it's like 65% Star Wars to 25% Star Trek. Really? As they get older, that kind of flips, um, probably because you had people growing up with the series. Yeah. Like, thinking back to my childhood, you know, sure, Next Generation was on TV, but the Star Wars movies were, there were new ones coming out and re-releasing the old ones. They're constantly re-releasing the old ones. We may get to this a little later, but my understanding is in some form or another... After that initial Star Trek series, there was never not Star Trek. Wait, really? In some form. Yeah. Okay, because I was about to say, like, wasn't there, like, a huge gap between the original series and Next Gen? Oh, there are the movies. Never mind. And the reruns. And the animated series. And the animated series. Yeah. Okay. This I got from Trekkies. Mm -hmm. There was a fan named Barbara Adams, who was a juror for the Whitewater case. Oh, I read about this. In Arkansas, which involved Bill Clinton. Okay. Oh, wow. And every day she was, she went there, she was dressed up in her, her uniform, her Starfleet uniform. That's awesome. (laughs) It it was great to see some of the interviews they had. They had like, you know, like people on the street type interviews, like, oh, she's wearing her Star Trek uniform to to court. What do you think of that? (laughs) She's like, I think it's great. I think we need more people. Who are like into Star Trek? She's she looks like she's by the book, and everyone is all like all about it. <laughs> like this is America. <laughs> this is <laughs> you do what you like, and that's what we're all about. So that was that was fun. That was heartening to see. Yeah. Apparently, that person was thrown off the case. She did an interview. Yeah. And you were not allowed to do that when you were a juror. The interesting thing was, uh, it was yeah, it wasn't because she talked about. The trial is just because she was not supposed to be talking to any of the press. Yes. Like, 
Judge didn't care that they were in Starfleet uniform. They're like, this is is great. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Hmm. This is an odd bit of trivia that I just remembered and is also more product placement than trivia. But it's relevant. Um, I mean, everybody knows about thinkgeek.com, right? Oh, yes. Really cool site with a bunch of like nerdy, geeky stuff. Often has all sorts of Star Trek, Star Wars, etc. Themed memorabilia. Apparently, right now, and I only... I don't even know why I did this, but I did it anyway. They are they have a thing set up right now where you can pre-order a communicator badge. Mm-hmm. They already have a communicator badge. It's like a perfect replica or whatever. But it's Bluetooth enabled. Oh, cool. So you like tap it and it does the chirp and you can be like, <sighs> okay, Google. Or like <laughs> Siri, like two to beam up. <laughs> cool. And then so, what happens? Uh, then you look like an idiot because transporter <laughs> technology doesn't exist yet, and you reconfigure the isolinear ships. I can fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> just, and... just beam me up right now. Okay. Yep. This is kind of a long one, but worth mentioning for sure. Okay. Um, Let's hear I, don't, this. I don't know if you guys came across this or not, but uh, this is this is a good one. Okay. So after the first season. Nichelle Nichols, who played Ahura, was offered a part in a Broadway show. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I think I'm going to do this Broadway show. I think, I think I'm think i kind of done with Star Trek. I'd rather move on. And Gene Roddenberry's like, oh, are you serious? So you're trying to do? Think think about it over the weekend. He's like, <laughs> She's like, okay, I'll, I'll you know, let you know on Monday or whatever. So, okay, during that weekend... Uh, Nichols attended a Beverly Hills fundraiser where she was told about a Star Trek fan who was desperate to meet her. I'm looking for a young man who's a Star Trek fan. So I turn, and instead of a fan, there's this face the world knows with his beautiful smile on it. Does anybody know who it is? Was it Gene Roddenberry? It was not Gene Roddenberry. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I had to just double check Um, that. It was a young Ben Stiller. Ooh, that's a good Uh, guess. Um, No, it's not. Considering who it ends up being. (laughs) (laughs) An old Ben Stiller. Um, yeah, yeah. Somehow ooh, an old Ben. Stiller. Hold on. <laughs> well, Ben Stiller's father, maybe I'm Jerry Stiller. Okay. No, it was not. Okay. Hold on, hold on. There's I a limited. A... I'm, I'm, I'm budgeting a limited amount of time for you to guess who it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Uh, I got nothing. Okay. It was Martin Luther King Jr. Oh wow! Oh, wow. This man says, yes, Miss Nichols, I am that fan. I am your best, greatest fan, and my family are your greatest fans. As a matter of fact, this is the only show that my wife Coretta and I will allow our little children to watch to stay up late to watch because it's past their bedtime. King said he admired Nichols' work and the role Roddenberry had created for her, one with dignity. Um, The actress thanked him. She later recalled on NPR's Tell Me More, telling him she wished she could be out there marching alongside him. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. We don't need you to march. You are marching. You're reflecting what we're fighting for. Then she broke the news to him that she was quitting the show. His smile faded, Nichols recalled later. She firmly told the actress that she couldn't leave Star Trek. He said, don't you understand what this man, Roddenberry, has achieved? For the first time on television, we will be seen as we should be seen every day, as intelligent, quality, beautiful people who can sing and dance, yes, but who can go into space, who can be lawyers and teachers, who can be professors, who are, are, are in this day, yet you don't see it on television until now. Nichols recorded in a later interview. Gene Roddenberry has opened a door for the world f- to see us. If you leave, the door can be closed. Because you see, your role is not a black role. It's not a female role. He can fill it with anything, including an alien. Nichols was left speechless. I just stood there, realizing every word he was saying was the truth. And at that moment, the world tilted for me. And this is the best part. 
A few days after that encounter, Nichols told Ronbury what King had said. The Star Trek creator looked at Nichols, she recollected, and said, God bless Dr. Martin Luther King. Somebody knows where I'm coming from. <laughs> wow. Anyway, I thought that was a really cool story. I, I, when you were telling mm. that story, I had chills because that is like really powerful stuff. Yeah. Isn't it sad that like something like that happened in the 1970s and we're still trying to fight for stuff today? Yes. It's got to start somewhere, man. Yeah, 40, 50 years ago. (laughs) Women didn't get the vote in the States for like the first 150 years they were a country. That's, yeah, I guess that's true. Tis the state Uh, of things. But anyway, part of the reason that people identified with Star Trek so much. Mm -hmm. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. So what was interesting about the the story that you had, G, is is well, one that's a really powerful story um, about you know the the influence of, of Star Trek. What I found interesting in my research was that it was more of a history of fandom than it was a history of Star Trek. Yes, the the show itself has dated back to the 1960s, and there's been um, I don't remember if you mentioned it on or off air, but it's been you know there's never been a time where there hasn't been Star Trek. Yes. But what I found really interesting was that there is so much history, not of the show itself, not of the production itself and the actors, but just of fandom. I was floored when I, uh, and I did mention this on air earlier, that the first convention didn't happen for almost three years. Six years after the show started in like 1972, there was a, the first, not gr- uh, grouping of people, because that's what the first thing was, but like the first full-fledged fan convention and it had like 500 people 500 were expected 3,000 show oh sorry yeah that's what i yeah yeah. that is a little further along in my notes yep (laughs) and that's just like that's that's crazy that was six years later to get to 3,000 and again you know today you could have 3,000 fans before an episode even airs oh yeah like this looks like a thing that i will like yeah but just (laughs) the fact that the history of star trek is more of a history of fandom than anything else is just like mind-blowing to me there are a lot of firsts of fandom in star trek yeah well even before there were conventions you know when the series was threatened with cancellation after season two fans wrote letters and fans picketed nbc to get them to give it another season i uh i have something interesting for that when we get to the uh community posts oh cool okay we'll come back to that Mm -hmm. it's and it's funny because today if they were if people were to pick it the studio would be like okay whatever (laughs) what do you do do? petition.org what's the change.org yeah Yeah, there you you go get get ten thousand signatures and president barack obama will (laughs) will get star trek back on the air oh yeah look at it Yeah. (laughs) yeah it was you know they didn't have that Potential for communication that we have now. So everything That's moved true. a lot slower. There was, a, there was like a slow realization of, oh, lots of other people are into this the way that yeah. I'm into this. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a lot of the research that I was doing um, specifically into sort of the, the first few conventions and that kind of thing, um, what came up a fair bit was that before people came to these conventions, before there were conventions for people to go to, a lot of people had the sense that 
being a Star Trek fan is a very lonely thing to be a fan of because mm-hmm. there were fanzines. But even then, I guess, you know, you'd have to be on like some kind of mailing list or at least no other Star Trek fans so they could be passed to you physically. You got to get got to get into the zine. Yo. Yeah. Yeah. You got to know it to know it. Mm-hmm. You said mailing list and I was like, oh, yeah, mailing list. And I forgot. Oh, right. Literally a list of like lettered mail from the yeah. post office. <laughs> yeah. Oh, possibly yeah. even like just a, a chain mail sort of thing. Like you'd have the zine for a few, I, I don't know. This is total guesswork on my part. But you'd have the zine for like a week and then you'd mail it to the next person on the list. That, that could work. Man. Yeah, I, I found a lot about zines. Well, it, it was probably the best way to communicate. Like, the, the internet wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> zines were the internet of that. Yeah, well, because <laughs> you, you either had to convene as a, as a group of people or mm-hmm. you had to have some other means of doing that. That's probably why various uh, clubs and chapters and whatnot were, were popular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I found it interesting doing a bit of research that people were like the Associated Press was quoted as as saying that, you know, Star Trek is not going away. Like, we don't know why it's not going away <laughs> in the 1970s. It had only been off the air for like a year. And they're like, wow, the show's really popular. It's like, when is it going to die off? It's just like that was at the beginning. It has now been 50 years. That's what people say about <laughs> Firefly. <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> that is its own beast. We'll, we'll get to that. Specifically with with the fandom kind of coalescing into like coalescing from individuals who enjoyed Star Trek into an actual group of people who recognized each other as fans. The one quote that really struck me from this article I was reading from from Time magazine back in 1975 was um that that convention in 1972 where they expected 500 people and got 3,000 gave them a sense that this convention is when a diaspora became a nation. Whoa. Oh, wow. So there's like this really That's profound. That's some, yeah, powerful some big sense. language right there. Yeah. Yeah. There's this really powerful sense that these people coming together, it's not just a bunch of people who like the same thing meeting. It's actually something, something greater yeah that uh the funny thing about that convention in particular as well is that it exploded like they expected 500 and had over 3,000 like that's big yeah. that's really yeah. big but then the next year they mm-hmm. had over 6,000 which is oh, doubling <laughs> and then the next year they had over 15,000 which is wow. more than doubling and what's interesting about that is a uh, Worldcon, which i guess uh, i'm not super familiar with uh definitely conventions of the time but Worldcon is a thing that still exists now, and from my, mm-hmm. what I understand, it's a science fiction convention. Yeah, and at the time, like Worldcon was like forty five hundred people ish. Wow! So in wow. like, what is that? Six, seven, eight? Like eight years after Star Trek came out on TV, it was like three times more than three times larger than Worldcon, which is probably a science fiction convention that had been going on for significantly longer than that. Wow. wow. Like, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, well, the cr- the kind of crazy thing to me then is that one of the major reasons why these Star Trek fans got together and started having Star Trek conventions was because they always felt like when they went to sci-fi conventions, the sci-fi fans there didn't think they were real science fiction fans. <laughs> Whoa. 
there was a really good illustration from a from a zine, and we'll have to. I didn't Ooh. cite it, but we'll have to add it to the the show notes. Mm-hmm. But it was this picture of these two very stoic science fiction fans who look just like normal people, okay. with like a whole bunch of Star Trek fans, and you know they're Star Trek fans because they all have like Vulcan ears, <laughs> and they're just like they look kind of like rambunctious and yeah. like like they're really doing stuff. It's just like I can just imagine the two people in the elevator being like. <sighs> Star Trek fans. Well, that's interesting, though, because from what I could gather, people enjoyed Star Trek because it was a science fiction story on television, but it wasn't like a kiddie show. Mm-hmm. Like grown-up stories about people in relationships and stuff. Yeah. It wasn't like Buck Rogers and... <laughs> yeah. No. No, they, like... The show, I think, part of its popularity came from the fact that they were trying to make episodes about things like racism or Vietnam or, you know, big issues of the day. Oh, man. I watched Balance of Terror. Yeah. Is that the one with the black and the white people? It is not. Okay. Hmm. Go ahead. Uh, They didn't show show up, as as I saw. Anyway, it was like, yeah, we're on the edge of the neutral zone. You know, the, the, the tense peace treaty with the Romulans that we signed a while ago after the Romulan war. No one knows what Romulans look like or like we haven't seen a Romulan in 200 years. Wow. Finally see one on screen. Guess what? It looks like a Vulcan. Everyone turns what? and looks at Spock. It was super awkward. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't watch the original series. Um, that's one of several Star Trek series I haven't seen yet. Um, but when you mentioned racism, the, I don't even think you need to have seen Star Trek to be at least uh, somewhat aware of. There's an episode where they have um, this race of people where they have black on one side and white on the other side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's just like, well, can you tell the difference? It's like, we're black with white on top, whereas they're white with black on top. And it's just yeah, like they very... just swap sides and it's just yeah. like... It's just like a very pointed argument. It's like, guys, racism. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And that, ep- that episode that I was talking about is like mm-hmm. episode 9 or 10 of the whole series. Oh, Wow. Yeah, Man. got a Stranger Things going on there. Am I right? Bam! Yeah, right out the gate. <laughs> oh, we'll, oh, we'll talk about it off air. Ooh. Uh. Yeah. So, mm. okay, that's something I kind of wanted to get to. So, Star Trek, well known for being like very inclusive and multicultural back in its day, and and continuing to be so. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people connected to that it sounds you know like oh like like the token black guy or whatever this was like when first of all the the characters of various races on the show were not token characters right that's true like mm-hmm. like Uhura and Sulu and Chekhov none were not token characters no they were part of the main cast and there weren't even token anyone on other shows <laughs> yeah that was quite the feat yeah mm-hmm I remember hearing about George Takei wanting there to be like an episode talking about like gay issues hmm. or something or something or introducing a gay character or something like that. Yeah. And Gene Roddenberry's like they wouldn't people wouldn't be able to like deal with it. That was like for the time that was the fringe. He was on board, but he was like people aren't even going to be able to handle it. Hmm. So that that was interesting that those kinds of discussions were happening. As Star Trek was being written. Yeah. 
as a personal note, I would really like to talk about that, but I don't have anything to like. I, it would just be like just flat out. It's like just speculation about the time. But what I did want to bring up, which was related about um, the audience and how they relate to it, something that I found interesting was that part of the reason why there was this uh, unique following of of Star Trek was actually due to one of the things that I never would have thought would have been a factor at all. Uh, it was when it aired. Apparently, its original time slot aired around the time that broadcast television news would take place. Okay. So it's like, if you didn't want to watch the news, you could watch Star Trek. And because of that, you got a lot of, like, a younger audience. Ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my notes, and we're definitely not going to discuss this because I have nothing to found it, I wrote, <laughs> precursor to young adults, question mark? Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Possibly. I was going to go there with zero research. I feel I feel like it might be a precursor to young adults in the same way that Harry Potter is young adult. Like it's this thing that maybe maybe has a really broad appeal but isn't targeted to to a broad audience. Yeah. I mean, I, but like that's kind of what I was thinking. It was just like a matter of like timing. Yeah. Well, I think it's timing, but I think the with the original series, I feel like it it was a series, it was the kind of show that talked up to people who were used to being talked down to and was like uh, on the same level as people who were maybe just fed up with TV not being smart enough. That's fair. That's fair. Also, then we talk about when we get to the community uh, post. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Did anybody come across Grup? Grup? Grup. The answer is no. I came across Grok. That's... Yeah, that's something to, to, to dig without let up, as they said back in the day. It's just even for okay. You guys, I am not. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know what? How about you continue? And I'll just <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll listen. I'll just listen. Uh, the first adult fanzine. Oh, oh. Grup is from. Oh my. The, the word. The word <laughs> is from an episode of Star Trek where it's basically an abbreviation of grown up. Oh, okay. Grup. So, hence the name. In its third issue, published the first slash fic, A Fragment Out of Time, by uh, Diane Marcher. Uh, it is available out there. You can find it. I found it. Uh, it's a quick little read. Also, in the second issue, a centerfold of a nude Sulu. Wow. Oh, wow. It, it drawn one, obviously. Well, yeah, I was about to ask. But... <laughs> uh, yeah. George Takei had this to say about it. Well, being anatomically correct, it is somewhat flattering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, George Takei is fantastic. Was, <laughs> part of what made it such a joy to research the episode is the amount of times I got to hear George Takei's lugubrious voice. <laughs> that is a fantastic word. <laughs> uh, Actually, I, that's probably the first time I've heard that word used outside of uh, Disney's Hercules. Oh, wow. Uh, you're yep. welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Learning a little bit on this podcast. That's right. That's right. Was it? So it started with um, a group of people were were reading a zine, and it's like, oh, don't forget to submit your stories. No Spock goes to bed with stories, <clears throat> and someone's like, man, there should be a zine that's like just that. And then it was formed. <laughs> That's really interesting because, like that, that is the foundation for like not slashfic. I mean, maybe slashfic. I the term like the term slashfic. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, yeah. like that that coming together of people in a zine is basically the precursor to modern fandom. 
Yep. Like it, it's mm-hmm. that collaboration between people and that the first examples of like fan art, but in a more public forum, not just like, you know, stuff people draw on their own and stays in their home or in a, a drawer or in a box or something like that. What was really neat about reading a little bit about Slash was the amount of people who individually, you know, had this idea and then found out that a bunch of other people also had it. <laughs> With specific regards to Kirk slash Spock, both art and fic. But uh, uh, drawer fic, it was called. Mm-hmm. Drawer fic? You write it down, it's stuffed it in our drawer. Oh. It's yeah. it away, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> other people are interested in reading this. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that was really cool to find. History is great, guys. Um, also, one more thing about zines. Not necessarily adult mm-hmm. zines. Spockanalia, the first zine that we I think we mentioned a little earlier, right. started like at the end of the first season. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was when I was doing my research, that was the thing that came up under yeah. a year into the show being released. According to Gene Roddenberry, it was required reading in the writer's room by season two. Makes sense. A trend that would continue, I'm sure, into like the years going on to keep a pulse on what fans are thinking. Oh, yeah. Because it can't be that much longer before you get fans involved in the show. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, uh. gee, you brought up an interesting point about um, you know how involved fans are in the, the process. Not necessarily about how much of their work ends up in the show, but just about, you know, obviously fans have come, definitely in modern times, and even apparently way back in the 1960s uh, in, you know, shaping the show. One of the things that came up during my research was this this movie called Prelude to Axanar, which, not being a huge Star Trek fan, like I enjoyed the shows that I've seen, but I'm not on the up and up about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found it about Prelude to Axanar, which is a movie, a fan film, that, again, nothing new there about fan films, that was... Uh, I guess the first of its kind because it was a Star Trek fan film that was kickstarted. Oh, they set out to raise ten thousand dollars and raised, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. My goodness! Uh, in part because uh, I think George Takei and some other people, you know, were endorsing it to some extent. Oh wow, that would that would do it. Yeah, that would probably kick it up a notch because there've been many fan films before, you know, just labors of love. Mm. And uh, unlike all those other fan films, Paramount Studios actually came in and they're traditionally, they allow people to make stuff provided that you don't sell anything. You don't make any money off of it, but this is the first time that I guess they'd come in and actually like sued the producers of Prelude uh, to Axanar for copyright infringement. Well, like flagrant Mm -hmm. infringement of various intellectual properties. Yes. (laughs) And uh, the, the people who produced this were like, Nope. Like, you can't, like, there's nothing here. Um, all right, I don't remember. You know what? Just You should just look up the lawsuit. We'll put in the, the, the show notes. But what was interesting was they eventually decided to drop it, and they now released fan guidelines for fan films. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, I know, how, right? How recently is this? Uh, that was when, who was the previous director of the new Star Trek movies? J.J. Abrams? Yeah. J.J. Abrams was handing off the helm to uh, Justin Lin. Is that okay. the new one? Yep. So I guess in the last three years. Oh, wow. Uh, I think it came out in 2014. Anyway, uh, also supposed to be very good. But that aside, who owns the fandom? Because we were talking, we were just talking about how it was kind of required reading 
and then fans have been producing content over the years, and suddenly, this. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, like even before this this fan film came up, there's actually a bit of a historical precedent for uh, the the copyright owner stepping in, because the original group that started to do the conventions in the 70s kept doing them until I think the early 80s when hotels became too expensive to rent out. Mm-hmm. The stars were getting too big because of all the movies, so they were getting more expensive to bring in. Okay. And the copyright holder at the time, which I think was also Paramount, I think they've always had the, the hold on it, um, started to get wise to these conventions are super popular and we can make a lot of money at them. <laughs> so you've got to pay us a lot of money if you want to use the Star Trek name. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I guess the answer is Paramount. Moving on. <laughs> okay. No, but I mean, like, okay. Like, I mean, there, there's no debate in that regard, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Legally, the copyright. I, I, IP, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, what was interesting in my research, this is a quick aside. Paramount Studios hasn't always been the rights holder. Paramount Studios now owns the, the rights, the movie rights um, to create new movies and release the old movies. CBS. Okay studios tv studios mm. has the rights to the tv show which is probably who owns the rights to the yet uh unseen i guess we saw the ship for the new star trek tv show oh, the, oh which, yeah the new show yeah. That's right. yeah exactly which we didn't talk about at all or do any research on which is sad because oh, i'm that's, kind that's of interested now the future yeah future, future. Yeah. um but like that that's re- really interesting but it's like who owns a fandom ignoring the actual legalities of it because i think there have been many stories um one of the bits of research that ended up with me reading about what LCARS is, it's the library something archival system, whatever. I was reading about Trekkies, and I had learned that on The Next Generation in particular, many of the production designers for the, the show, or at least one of them in particular, the person who had designed LCARS, was a Trekkie. And it was interesting to see this feedback loop of people who had seen the original series and were still interested in the show and had gotten involved in later shows... Um, actually, I think with one of the later shows, they were like, nope, we don't want any Trekkies on this show because we want something new. Interesting. That might have been with Enterprise. I don't remember. Maybe Doctor Who will do that someday. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. They would have to to make the cast entirely non-British for that to work. I was was about (laughs) to say, it's a show made in Britain, one that very much values tradition and all that jazz. That's not happening. Wait until the American Doctor Who comes out. Yeah? Yeah? No? Okay. I mean, mean, mean take two on American Doctor Who? Anyway, <laughs> that's a future episode. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, the thing I wanted to say about the fans, the fans' claim mm-hmm. to the fandom um, is... Okay, so we're talking about this a little bit. Show ran for two seasons and then was going to be canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and due to a fan letter writing campaign was carried on for a third season, mm-hmm. which is, which is very nice. Not, we've had that happen before, like more like afterwards, obviously yeah. we've had petitions that saved shows, family guy and Chuck <laughs> and, uh, not Firefly and a couple <laughs> of <others. laughs> Um, but the key thing about what happened with Star Trek is that having that third season pushed it into enough numbers for it to uh, go into syndication. So after that point, 
Star Trek was always on TV somewhere. Yeah. And if it, if it had only been two seasons, it wouldn't have been rerun. Hmm. Apparently, those reruns were playing on 142 U.S. stations and 117 overseas stations. Wowzers. So, those reruns were everywhere. Star Trek. That's probably everywhere. what got a lot of people into Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you I mean, you've got to fill out your TV schedule somehow, right? When you're a, a big-time TV executive. <laughs> Pat it with some Star Trek episodes. I mean, I guess when I was watching television, the answer to that was Seinfeld. <laughs> it was just, it's eternally on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, had that not happened, uh, Star Trek might have taken a very different direction. Yes. Yeah, it it probably would not have reached as many people as it did. It probably wouldn't have had the kind of interest to, like, keep the zines that started during the original run going. Yeah. I would, probably wouldn't have seen the boom of fandom in the 70s. No. No way. Because even though even though there was uh, the animated series, mm-hmm. and even though there were the movies, there was a good deal mm-hmm. there, where there where there wasn't anything. Yeah. The the first movie wasn't 19, until 1979. Yeah. It was the end of the 70s. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy considering, like, just how little there was in the 70s of actual sort of official, I suppose, Star Trek content. Oh, yeah. Mostly fan content. Yeah. But apparently that was enough because those fans just took it and ran. It kind of got me thinking that nobody really owns any fandom. It's just created, and then fans play in it. Interesting. I mean, a counterexample would be Star Wars, but that's definitely another episode. Yeah. Well, Well, just like... Because they, they, there was this huge, like, okay, briefly getting into this. <laughs> because, like, Star Wars happened, and then there was this huge expanded universe of books, many of which were written by fans mm-hmm. for um, Lucas Films. Lucas Films? Lucas Arts. Lucas Films. Lucas Arts was the video game company. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, you know, that was, like, officially recognized, for lack of a better word, fandom, up until recently when Disney acquired the rights and basically said, nope, this isn't canon yeah well i mean there were also star trek novels i don't know when those started but i imagine they filled in that gap in the 70s i had a bunch i had a lot of star trek novels yeah one of the writers of them was a noted super fan joan winston who was one of the original 20 people who made up the council that was behind the first few star trek conventions and she was Apparently, I don't know how she did this, but she must have been friends with uh, with Gene Roddenberry or had some kind of connection to get on set. But she was on set at least once. She literally rubbed noses with Kirk <laughs> Shatner for uh, publicity photos. She constantly sent Roddenberry uh, ideas for episodes. And I think at the end of the third season, um, he had actually said that, okay, Joan, you can... You can produce an episode or you can write an episode or, you know, have actual hands-on involvement with the show come the fourth season. At the time, he Roddenberry himself didn't know that they weren't going to get a fourth season, so it's not like he was just building her up to knock her down, but still. Not like that discouraged her because she went on to do all the conventions. She went on to, to write a book, The Making of the Trek Conventions. Ooh. 
which is all about mm. the early conventions. It's like part autobiography, part memoir, part like anecdote collection. And along with all this stuff that she did for the fandom, she actually became sort of this iconic fan herself because um, when the sort of fan organized conventions started to wobble a little bit because of um, costs and that kind of thing, she started just to appear at other conventions at like the new official Star Trek conventions as Joan Winston super fan. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. The animated series is considered to be season four. Yeah. Like year four of the five year mission. Hmm. That info and a little other info is from uh, the podcast Saturday morning Trek, hmm. which talks about the animated series and Star Trek fandom in the seventies. Oh, wow. And sounds like they had a lot of the similar stuff we're now enjoying with Frozen, which slap a Frozen <laughs> sticker on it, and it's yeah. Frozen. They did it with Star Trek. Hmm. They played an ad for the Star Trek calculator. Oh, my God. <laughs> add, subtract, multiply, divide, forget about it. <laughs> Captain, that would be highly logical. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I feel like we could probably fill it like... You could, we could probably fill an episode with any particular Star Trek series, but also like another episode about the optimism of the Star Trek franchise and its view of the future. And some of that wouldn't be about mm -hmm. fandom, but it'd still make for a really great episode. Yeah. Yeah. When I was reading about the older conventions, the ones in the 70s and 80s, um, that was something that kept coming up that people would note that special guests like Jesko von Puttkammer would note things like the vibe of the convention was very positive and all of these people who came because of Star Trek were these people who had this really bright outlook for the future, a future where people just got along regardless of where they were from or what they looked like or anything like that. Vulcans and and uh and, and uh Klingons. Klingons Romulans. Romulans. All the people of Earth just getting together and protecting the peace and protecting protecting the galaxy and exploring it as well it was a post-scarcity world like we we're yeah. like earth solved good job guys we did it <laughs> it's just like racism sexism uh inequality all solved problems on earth don't worry about it hey they had a russian guy on board during the yeah. cold war That's yeah true. wait was um was the actor actually nope no no that's yeah okay no. I mean, still. still. Still, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple of, uh, like, fandom comments here. Uh, scouring all the Star Trek communications, I've come up with a couple from while the show was on. Okay. Cool. Um, so this first one is uh, was published in Spockanalia number three. <laughs> um, and shows you that little has changed in terms of uh, forums. <laughs> okay I'm, I'm looking forward to this this is by, so, this is by someone only known as the editor uh, known as Yeds Y-E-D-S this was his editorial please Mr. Roddenberry don't let Star Trek become another run of the grade B types of science fiction show there have been some unhappy signs of this and we're worried the wonderful culture you, you created seems to be slipping the Interplanetary Federation of Sentient Beings has become an Earth-dominated, USA-oriented colonial power. The starships are all human-run, and the crews are all American humans, with a few noble exceptions. 
The universe has more to offer. The marvelous science, while it always has its holes, is now becoming moth-eaten from its cliched inability to learn from past experiences. The iMud androids could have easily solved the return to tomorrow dilemma. And why must we be bombarded by planets identical with Earth except for one little thing? This was handled very cleverly in A Piece of the Action, but elsewhere it is very between disappointing and utterly poor. We nearly turned off the Omega Glory in the middle. There's a new season starting. Please, bring back your original standards. Write us another menagerie and let the Omega be a thing of the past. If we fans have any voice in the creation of Star Trek, then we say, keep it the way it was. That is what we want. That was written after season one. Jeez. I have so many complicated feelings about what that person had to say. Because <laughs> I'm I'm partly on board with them, and and like like I haven't seen the original series, but I'm just like, wow, you're right. That makes some really valid points about like you know having the American centricism, and then it's just like, oh, but now you're making all these other points about just like right. you could have done better. And I'm like, it's writing. Sometimes they get lazy, and sometimes. Yeah. You introduce something that's too powerful, and then, like, in a lot of yeah. the next generation, it's like, you have data, just get data to solve the problem. And in a bunch of episodes, they're like, uh, data's off ship, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but just, like, that happens. It's just like, but at the same time, I can see what you're saying about, you know, this is the level of discourse. Also, really impressed because people actually, I guess, real fans, because I've never been a fan enough of anything to actually know the names of episodes... Ah, uh, yes. That was also more of a thing in the past, because they probably had it on the title card. Actually, they had that in Voyager, too. Just That's They don't true. do that for a lot of TV shows now. <laughs> Notably, not in The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, goodness. No. People will mention an episode of The Simpsons, like, what episode is that? It's the one where <laughs> Moe has a flaming Moe. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I got one here. I have a letter. Uh, at the beginning of the fan campaign to resurrect the show. Okay. Okay. And I'll explain where it's from afterwards. Okay. Dear Rick, it's finally happened. You've been in the know for a long time. You've known the worth of mature science fiction, and you've squirmed at the adolescent manner with which it has generally been presented on television. Now, finally, we've lucked out. We've gotten a show on prime time that is attempting to do the missionary job for the field of speculative fiction. This show is Star Trek, of course, and its aims have been lofty. Star Trek has been carrying the good word out to the boondocks. Those who have seen the show know it is frequently written by authentic science fiction writers. It is made with enormous difficulty with considerable pride. If you're at the World Science Fiction Convention in Cleveland, you know it received standing ovations and was awarded a special citation by the convention. Star Trek has finally showed the mass audience that science fiction need not be situation comedy in spacesuits. The reason for this letter, and frankly its appeal for help, is that we've learned this show, despite its healthy growth, could face trouble soon. The Nielsen Roulette game is being played. They say, If mature science fiction is so hot, how's it come that kiddie space show on the other network is doing so much better? There's no sense in explaining it's the second year for the competition and the first year for Star Trek. All they understand are the decimal places. And the sound of voices raised, which is where you come in. Star Trek's cancellation or a change to a less adult format would be tragic, seeming to demonstrate that real science fiction cannot attract a mass audience. We need letters, yours and ours, plus every science fiction fan and TV viewer we can reach through our publications and personal contacts. Important, not form letters, not using our phrases here. They should be the fans' own words and honest attitudes. They should go for A, local television stations which carry Star Trek, B, to sponsors who advertise on Star Trek, C, local and syndicated television columnists, and D, TV Guide and other television magazines. The situation is critical. It has to happen now or it'll be too late. We're giving it all our efforts. 
We hope we can count on yours. December 1st, 1966. Sincerely, Harlan Ellison. Oh, what? Yes. Oh, cool. Okay. For those of us who are not enlightened <laughs> as to who Harlan Ellison, I will assume they are a science fiction author. Of note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but like, maybe somebody could clue me in a little bit. Just, like, name a book that I might know. Or just Google it. Yeah, I can I can hear that happening. That works. <laughs> just, just, just Google it. Yeah. Work. I know he's a sci-fi writer. I know he is one of note, but I don't know what he is of note for. Okay, cool. I'm not... Okay. Um, I could, I could and that, that. That was representing the committee, uh, which features, uh-huh. uh, among other names, Paul Anderson, Philip Jose Farmer, Frank Herbert of, uh, Wait, of Dune, Dune fame. There we go. Yep. yep. And And some other science fiction writers. Was, was Asimov in there? Asimov's not in there. Not part of the he's... committee. He may have been a fan. No. Uh, he was. He was definitely a fan. Mm-hmm. I have no mouth and I must scream. Dangerous visions. Death. Bird stories. Those sound like things that I've heard of. Repent Harlequin. I'm going to be, be honest with you. I'm looking at Alan Ellison's bibliography. I don't recognize any of his books. But I know he's like a famous science fiction writer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, like, I'm really enjoying the level of discourse of these letters because I feel like, and this is obviously not the case with all fans, but I feel like I'm much more likely to get a form letter being like, Firefly was the greatest. Why are we picking on Firefly? (laughs) (laughs) Firefly is the greatest show. You're a bunch of idiots for for canceling it. Um, Well, you know, you don't, people don't read your letter if you say that, but now it doesn't matter. Because you're not sending letters. No. Oh, I was. I thought you were going to say now it doesn't matter because no one reads your letters anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's also but, true. But uh, you know, you just post them up on a form on change.org. Yeah, that, That's true. Yeah. Also, there's like at now there's a significantly more media available, like both pre, like already existing and to be produced. So mm-hmm. it's like you're literally shouting into a void because there's hundreds of other productions being made yeah and like it doesn't have to be a tv show that was the only outlet maybe at the time but now it's like oh there's this fan series or this like original work by this set of people on youtube or whatever there's a very big sense of like this is what we got this is what the sci-fi fan has in 1966 yeah Yeah. Yeah. like unless you're like if you're just a literary sci-fi fan cool you're probably doing fine (laughs) but uh in terms of visual media this is pretty much it. Something that I didn't get to touch on earlier, and it had it didn't come up in my research, but I remember it now. I remember a time in my adolescence where I was reading about, you know, fan stuff, just in general, like anime fans, like whatever. And I remember something, and it probably was very persistent at the time, but and probably has persisted to some extent to this day, but maybe less so now. It was this idea of a hierarchy of fans. And I often remember science fiction fans and Star Trek fans being near the bottom or top, depending on <laughs> your perspective. In fact, I think it was like fans from different perspectives and they would alternate depending on which one you were. Anyway. Interesting. I remember that they were, and this maybe would be a good not right now, but if we were to talk about stereotypes, I think that would be something interesting to talk about. I feel like for our generation, just just going to cons and stuff like that, 
The Trek fan seems to be the elder states people of fandom. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah. There's a lot of older people in, like, exact perfect replica, like, Klingon costumes. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen those Klingons at Anime North lately. Funny that. Right? Yeah. Maybe they finally, maybe they finally released their hold. I mean, maybe. I mean, R.I.P. Toronto Trek. Yeah, a.k.a. Polaris. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was like, what's Toronto Trek? And it's like, ah, yes. Turned into Polaris, and then it kind of took a nosedive. <laughs> well, we could could probably also talk a whole episode about running a con oh boy. and conventions yep. and etc. But let's let's not make more work for ourselves, because I have a spotlight on an organization that makes so much sense, but uh, didn't occur to me until, you know, five minutes before we uh, started recording. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, great. So, the spotlight doesn't have to be on the thing we're talking about, but this seems so appropriate that I couldn't pass it up. So apparently, there's this organization called Starfleet International. Unsurprisingly, it is basically the uh, Star Trek organization. It's the fan club. It's probably also the largest fan club. It has been running for over 40 years. It started in 1973. <whistles> Going above and beyond just being a fan club, and this is perhaps since my it's my first foray into researching massive fan clubs. Uh, it is it is huge. It is international. Uh, it has different regional groups and it has different chapters. Chapters can consist of like ten to dozens of people. But what I found really fascinating in my research about this organization, which I should also give the URL for, as I haven't yet, uh, SFI.org, basically Starfleet International, mm. uh, is that. In its very, it actually has a system that kind of resembles Starfleet. Every chapter, or every regional chapter, has a captain and a first officer. And um, they have different divisions of Starfleet. They have the Academy, which is actually a place where you can learn an awful lot about Star Trek trivia about the show and whatnot. It has a group called the Marines, which are veterans who also happen to be fans. Wow. Or people who just happen to like more of a military flair. There is also special ops, which is for people who want a slightly different flavor of Starfleet Marines. And, and this was probably the most heartening to me, not like the rest of it is super depressing, but um, <laughs> Starfleet has scholarships, which it offers Whoa. to members of Starfleet who are attending uh, college or community college. That cool. is super cool. I know, right? I was not expecting that. This is um, this was mentioned in Trekkies. Um, Bar Barbara Adams was is a member of this, but she kept referring to it as the Federation Alliance. Oh, hmm. and so I tried to Google that and didn't find anything, and this is what I was looking for. Huh? Uh, maybe maybe what happened was it uh, underwent a change or something like that. Trekkies is about twenty years old now. Yeah, there is a Trekkies two, which is more recent. Yes. Like two th early 2000s, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's the spotlight. Uh, if you haven't heard of it before, if you're a fan of Star Trek, you should definitely check it out. If not, you should probably check it out because it's just a really neat, interesting thing. We talked about in this episode about the history of fandom, and it's kind of like looking at a history of fandom on an international scale. So mm -hmm. if you want to learn more about that, we definitely recommend checking that out. 
Hey, one one question, kind of before we we uh, we plug our stuff and get out of here. Um, is anybody uh, like drawn in? Are you talking? Anybody like find Star Trek more appealing or gonna check out more Star Trek or? Well, you know, I mean, find, like, find a personal appeal in uh, in this fandom. Uh, I possibly. <laughs> I mean, I watched I watched the odd episode. Or happened to be in the room when the hot episode was playing when I was a kid, and I found it pretty dull. Mm-hmm. Um, the odd episode of newer series are on here and there more recently. I find them pretty dull. <laughs> but the original series could be like that perfect confluence between B movie and substance mm-hmm. that I might really enjoy it. So I'm I'm curious to check out the original series. Man. Sorry, right. just like I'll let you talk in a minute, T. Yeah, go for it. Just just what some something that Z said. So this is like this was a bit of an awakening because I was a Trek fan when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Maybe like ten to twelve. I was like really into it. Mostly next generation, because that's what was on. So I really got into next generation. I had the I had the, the, the uniform, pips, a phaser, a tricorder. Man, those kid insert characters worked because Wesley was my favorite character then. <laughs> he was a kid. He was a kid. He was a kid like me. Yeah, he's a kid like me. He was on the Enterprise. Um, and it was always like, oh, you know, the old series is like, uh, like Kirk. Kirk's on every away mission, really. The captain <laughs> of the ship, and he's just punching everybody. Oh yeah, great <laughs> discourse. So. I was, I was I was solid into next generation, but watching like watching a couple Star Trek um, episodes for this, I I was getting into it. Yeah, like I'm I'm a very different person than I was then. Yeah, I've watched almost the entirety of Doctor Who in between then, which is probably is probably essential proteins in there for for getting into like you know something like <laughs> Star Trek from the sixties. Yeah, but uh, I was digging it, digging it a lot. I remember. Okay. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> One more go little ahead. story. Yeah, go for I, it. Go I remember tell your story. Is like my mom took me to a Star Trek convention. Oh, cool. I was ten or eleven. I don't have a lot of memory of that. I remember when you get an action figure of uh, Riker. Ooh. And they had like the first season one, where he didn't have a beard, <laughs> <laughs> which was actually a kind of rare one. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, if you," the the vendor was like, "Oh, if you get this, you don't want to play with it." I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's an action figure." It's like, oh, you should probably get the one with the beard then. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't I didn't understand at the time. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Could have had that beardless wrecker. Oh well. Sorry. I I that's okay. Uh I, I wasn't ever really into Star Trek until I was well into adulthood, so I have no like I never saw the original series. I remember skipping past episodes of the next generation on TV, wait, wa- waiting to watch something more interesting. I probably watched like friggin' Cleopatra twenty five twenty five or some <laughs> other some other garbage. Um, actually, I don't know. I haven't seen that show in forever. I just assume it didn't do terribly well. But uh, watching it as an adult, I really liked Next Generation, and part of it was probably the people that I, I watched it with that I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And um, it could also be that you know Patrick Stewart is a fantastic actor. Oh my goodness! Uh, one who was not a fan of Star Trek for the uh, first season and didn't think he was going to stick it out. He kept his clothes and everything in a suitcase in case the show was canceled oh wow 
His trailer literally said, like, British actor. <laughs> Apparently. This was... To I play, should have brought this up in trivia. To but play I, the I, French I role. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Luc yeah, yeah. Picard. Yep. Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> um, but watching Next Generation as an adult, especially having grown up with Star Wars, I really, I really enjoyed Next Gen in particular uh, because it was this world where it just focused on all these other interesting problems. It didn't worry about... Yeah, sometimes it gets a little verbose and and, and it, it talks about the pseudoscience. But most of the time, it's just interesting moral quandaries, interesting questions when you eliminate problems like, well, not eliminate problems like racism or things like that, but when you take them from an observer's perspective. Um, there was this really good episode with um, Wesley Crusher in Starfleet and something terrible happens. And Picard just has this really amazing speech about the truth and the purpose of Starfleet. And it's, it's, that's probably like a really good example. Also, Star Trek, like Next Gen was really fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. There's also a lot of it. Yeah, there's seven seasons, which was unheard of at the time. Wow. (laughs) Sorry. I got on a bit, off on a bit of a tangent, but like, I, I, as an adult, I really enjoyed uh, the Next Generation. Maybe I'll go back to the original series and I won't like it. But like, Z, if you haven't seen any, you should probably check at least like the first two episodes of next gen it's a really good example of the series in a nutshell it's got you know patrick stewart it's got jean delancey as q it's got q who is a recurring character who is like this fun thing (laughs) don't even know how to describe let's say do do you like uh what is it calamity in my little pony well get what if he was in a slightly more serious role uh you should probably check out already in a super serious role what are you talking about Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should probably check out some of that. Um, But, like, having watched Enterprise, Enterprise is completely different because it's the beginnings of Starfleet and it's a bit more towards uh, Kirk levels of shenanigans. (laughs) And Voyager is completely different. And I haven't seen Deep Space Nine, but it's very different. But Maybe maybe I'll give DS9 another chance. I'm going to give it a shot. I really enjoyed Star Trek as an adult, and and I think everybody should check it out even just a little bit even if it's just the new movies even though i'm not a huge fan of the new movies it's all on netflix you guys yeah, uh, yeah actually right now it's it's all on netflix because of the 50th anniversary so just just put it on yeah yeah, yeah. and join join the legion of trekkies jo- join the borg the collective if, if you want i i'd rather not oh, okay okay all right thanks everybody for listening and you can find us online at fanthropological.com. If the website's not your bag, you can also check us out on various social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at The Next Cast. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to email us, perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at thenextcast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. And until next time, remember, everyone's a fan.
but like having watched enterprise enterprise is completely different because it's the beginnings of starfleet and it's a bit more towards uh kirk levels of shenanigans <laughs> and voyager is completely different and i haven't seen deep space nine but it's very different but maybe maybe i'll give ds9 another chance i have it i'm, I'm gonna give it a shot but i'm working wait what was that somebody's shaving who's um, who's phone surging yeah give me give me, give me one second guys okay cool well this is a good time for a blooper then oh boy all right all right all right all right all right, all right. First duty of Starfleet off. The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's the scientific truth, historical truth, or personal truth. It is the guiding principle on which Starfleet is based. And if you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth about what happened, then you don't deserve to wear that uniform. And my personal truth is that Beavis and Butthead is truly the greatest <laughs> show on television. <laughs> Man, I yeah. love that. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay. We got some uh, some good. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, look forward to hearing that, but will it make the episode? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know how good my uh, Patrick Stewart impression is. Maybe we'll have a director's cut of the episode. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay, so assuming that that was that wraps up. You know what? Hold on. I should say something in case that didn't wrap up particularly well. Okay. And that is going to be, I've, I really enjoyed Starfleet as an adult and I, and I think everybody should check it out even just a little bit.